0: aboard the battleship pretension uh still not tyler smith here but new guest host scott and i
1: i'm david Bax. uh tyler smith is still ailing um doing a little bit better you can find out more for yourself about what's going on with tyler if you go to carryingbridge.org visit no let me start over caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. That's where you can get, they they update roughly once a week um, what's going on with Tyler's situation. There's been some positive developments recently, but it's going to be a long road with a lot of medical bills. And so there's also a link to the GoFundMe on the CaringBridge site if you want to help, if you were able to help, that would be be great. Um, But yeah, let's keep uh, Tyler in our thoughts and hopefully he'll be back to Uh, to talk movies again before too too long on this on this podcast absolutely Um, i know he would have loved he was looking forward to doing this episode so i'm sure he's um bummed that he's not able to to do it but before we get to that episode i want to tell you uh scott i want to tell you and the listeners about tweaked audio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds and a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors they look great; they sound great uh tyler and i use them each and every day oh i don't know he's probably not using them in the hospital right now actually he might be i don't know um but uh we generally use them each and every day of our lives today uh, just now on the bus i was using um my uh, tweaked audio.com, tweaked audio.com earbuds to listen to the new album by a Portland hardcore band called Long Knife, and the album is called Curb Stomp Earth. And uh, it absolutely lives up to that title. If you, whatever you are imagining in your head, yeah, music, music called Curb Stomp Earth, that's what it uh lives up to. It's pretty sick, it's pretty great. Sounded great on my tweaked audio.com earbuds. They're available at a low, low price at tweaked but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout. You get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension.
0: That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes.
1: Talk about starting the morning right.
0: Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient, comfortable.
1: Ah. Scott, yo. Let's get into it, shall we? Absolutely. Uh astute listeners, longtime listeners might have glanced down at their their zooms or their MP3 players or I'd say even have, uh, they...
0: new listeners could have uh, sussed that out.
1: Yeah, and and and, and they might have noticed That the number of this episode, because this is a numbered episode, not a uh, BP movie journal or a Patreon, this is a numbered episode, is the number of weeks we've been doing the show. The number of the episode ends in a zero, but is not evenly divisible by the number 50. And therefore, that means we're doing a profile, a tribute to someone uh from the world of film who has passed away in, in recent months and uh we well i i say we tyler and i have chosen to profile the late james khan um and uh tyler can't be here obviously so scott is gonna fill in scott uh, has been um cramming james khan movies from what i understand um yeah i'd say a solid third of the ones we're gonna talk about are so- ones i watched the last two weeks that's good like well Because I know you watched at least one big one, which is good, because oftentimes what happens with these profiles is that I will, in the run-up to the episode, I will cram all the stuff I haven't seen, which sometimes is the more obscure stuff. Sometimes there are big blind spots. Like right. I hadn't, I hadn't seen thief until a few weeks ago. That was a major blind oh, spot okay. for me. And so like, that's great. But like the Godfather movies, I haven't seen them in probably 20 years, but I didn't rewatch those. Cause I was trying to watch like other more obscure stuff. I hadn't seen. So it's, it's a weird, like uh uh uh, to catch 22 here is uh, that often when we're doing these profiles, the biggest name things are the ones that I have the most distance from. Right. Because I, I have the more obscure stuff front of mind. But then I also know, I know you watched at least one movie that I have seen, but it was so long ago that I didn't remember that he was in it. Oh, awesome.
0: Um, <laughs> um, I mean, he kind of had that career whereas like, he was the star of many movies and then he just like showed up in a bunch of stuff.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think, what we're going to, uh, I think one thing, hold on one second. David is walking away. Sorry. Up I, had, I, I had one of the doors to this, this office has two doors in it. And, um, I had one of them open. I realized my wife is probably trying to watch TV out there. It's too many doors. Um, yeah, it's too many doors. Um, so, I, uh, this is something we talked about a little bit. Uh, um, I'm trying to think who where our last profile was, uh, Oh, who was it? Oh, no, it wasn't the last profile. It was we did a um, a tribute on the Patreon to Paul Sorvino. Oh, sure. And we were talking about the idea that post-Goodfellas, a lot of Paul Sorvino's casting is almost, like, dependent on you understanding that he's probably from Goodfellas. Yeah. You know? And I think a certain kind of thing happened maybe with the Godfather and, and James Kahn and him. Uh, Cause I would, a lot of the movies that I watched in preparation for this were his earlier movies. Hmm. Um, and you see a a, a, a different side, often a more vulnerable side to him, I think pre yeah. that. And then he becomes this paragon of machismo and a lot of his casting for most of the rest of his career is based on him being like, a man's man in a lot of ways. I mean, there are exceptions, obviously, but that that seems to have been a, become a defining part because of playing Sonny Corleone, Corleone.
0: Yeah, and I think even more so the idea of him just as like this pure force that has to be reckoned with, and that whatever his character is setting out to do, whether he's the star of the movie or just a supporting role, he's going to figure out a way to do it, and he's going to like achieve his end. um and I think the other thing that Godfather established is that like the guys he plays aren't going to be the high thinkers, you know, they can be really skilled at what they do, but right. they usually kind right. of top out at like upper middle management of usually the criminal world, but yeah. of whatever world he's in, he doesn't have like the wherewithal to oversee everything and to be the big boss, but he's the guy who can get shit done
1: yeah yeah well let's uh, uh those are some of my general thoughts do you have any other general thoughts before we just jump into going chronologically because i know we have a lot of movies to cover today
0: yeah i'd say we just jump, jump in
1: okay well i'm starting in 1966
0: i'm in 65 okay what do you got year, uh with red line Seven Thousand. um i think the first movie he made with howard hawks it's a race car movie it kind of fits into the what I now think of as like Rick Dalton movies where it's like, they're trying out a new leading man (laughs) and you can tell, they don't know if it's going to work. And the premise is kind of loose and there's clearly not so much money put into it that they really care about the result. It's just like a filler movie that, uh, some new sixties leading man is in. And he is the sixties leading man in this case. Um, he plays a race car driver whose best friend dies in, you know, a race car accident towards the beginning of the movie. Um, and the best friend had just gotten engaged to this girl from California who's flying out and she's flying out not knowing that her fiance just died. And of course, you know, uh James khan gets to know her, one thing leads to another, et cetera, et cetera. I saw this a while ago, so I don't have, like the best memory of it. But um you can definitely see Khan um cementing himself as a dependable leading man who has like some interesting nuances. I think a lot of really what gets established is like the James Conn persona is kind of evident in this. Um, It's a little bit more vulnerable, but he's still a little taciturn, a little reserved and a little, um, uh, you know, trying to do the right thing by this girl while still um, being kind of a young hotshot guy. Um, It's a cool movie. It's, it's definitely got that kind of lazy sixties. Like I said, Rick Dalton movie kind of feel where it's, you know, it's not Howard Hawks at his best, but it's got that great hangout vibe. It's got a lot of great side characters. And again, I think Khan kind of comes out of the gate pretty strong.
1: This, I mean, that seems like a perfect transition into the 1966 movie Eldorado, which is also Howard Hawks sort of <laughs> lazy hangout. Not Howard okay. Hawks at, at his best. It's, um, uh, Eldorado has a lot of good. To it. It also has a lot that um it doesn't like it's it's over two hours long and it sometimes feels it. There's like there's a whole part of like um James khan's character like knows about a hangover cure, like yeah. for Robert Mitchum's character who's drunk and it like takes up weirdly like just ten minutes of the movie because they have to like go to the general store and get the stuff and bring it back and mix up the hangover cure. And there's a lot, I guess that's that hangout stuff you're talking about, but um uh, I found Eldorado to be kind of like uh, fun, but definitely lesser Hawks.
0: I really like Eldorado. Um, it's definitely a remake of Rio Bravo. Um, it's shorter than Rio Bravo. So if your uh, hang up is length, then certainly it's got that edge on it. I also think Mitchum plays a more like desperate drunk than uh, Dean Martin did. Um, and I kind of just prefer James Caan and kind of the young hotshot role to um, Ricky Nelson, um, from Rio Bravo, and you know, Khan's got that great hat. He's got this kind of great yeah, outfit, great, great series yeah. of outfits throughout the movie. That's pretty great. Um, and I love the fact that he can't shoot. It's a great yeah. like premise for a Western character who <laughs> is still like turns out to be like a guy to be reckoned with. But the whole well, we meet is-
1: him murdering someone with knives. Yeah, so that's and a good start. he still is like the like fresh-faced comic relief shiny like new kid like who's yeah. a little bit awkward but like charming and even though we're introduced to him literally killing a man with knives yeah <laughs> um, but yeah fantastic hat um, the hat goes a long way yeah.
0: yeah yeah i do like that whole opening scene where like he's kind of having the show or not opening scene but the first scene he's in where he's having that showdown mm-hmm. with the guys and the bad guy's like but it shouldn't have taken four men. And he's like yeah. slightly holding that against his like henchman guy and like willing to let James gone, just kill him because he's yeah. like felt like he, it, his henchman was being a little ridiculous in some past incident. He wasn't even a part of.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um But uh, th- uh, to me, this is because i not having seen red Line red line 7,000. This is a good, he's clearly a strong screen presence, even like with, with Wayne and Mitchum. Oh, yeah. there he still very much establishes his own territory on the, on the screen, um, and carries himself with confidence, which is a big part of his characters going forward.
0: Yeah. It's interesting in these two movies that he like was kind of trying to slide into a Hollywood that a couple of years later was going to crumble in which he would kind of help redefine, but he totally could have been like a classic Hollywood leading man. And if that Hollywood had kept going, he would have been just fine too.
1: Well, speaking on the things on the verge of the new Hollywood, um, 1967, we've got, uh, a Robert Altman an early Altman. Yeah, I I wanted to see this, but I I have not seen it. Yeah. It's, I think I like, I think I rented it on Apple and in standard def, but it like, it, it, it looked all right. Um, uh, but it doesn't feel, you know, it's Altman in his, like, before he was establishing his voice and he, where he's kind of like a journeyman, I guess. Right. And it's a, it's a solid, um movie it's interesting to watch um i guess 1967, it's 1967 like americans had already been to space but not to the moon yet And that's what this movie is about that um uh robert duvall and james connor both like um test pilots who um are preparing for moon missions and and then robert duvall is selected to be the you're going to be their solo missions. Um, but like, so Robert Duvall, you're going to be the one who goes to the moon. But then what happens is the Russians land on the moon before the Americans and they decide we can't send anyone from the military. And like Robert Duvall has a military rank. It's, it's, it's going to look like an act of aggression. If we send a military man up there to meet the Russians, so we have to send a civilian. And so, James Connus to prepare for with Robert Duvall has been preparing for Robert Duvall, like training him, but mm-hmm. also like very bitter that he's not the one getting, right. To, uh, getting to go. It's, it's, it's got the, you know, I mean, those are two great actors. And so it's got a lot of, uh, that, that dynamic and that, that tension is, is, is really good. Um, and of course it, you know, comes to a head when, you know, um, James Kahn's up there and things maybe are going to go are going wrong with the mission and Robert Duvall, you know, down in mission control, maybe, maybe he learns to set aside his grievances and help his buddy uh, survive (laughs) this moonshot. Maybe that's what happens. Um, But yeah, it's a, it's a cool, like solid. um, uh, uh, I guess, I don't I don't know if science fiction is the right word because it takes place. Right. I don't know it's it, but it's about going to the moon at a time we hadn't done that yet. And so it's interesting to see like how how many similar similarities there are between this and Apollo 13, which is a movie that mm. was made 30 years later and after we had already been to the moon multiple times and I guess uh Robert Altman and whoever, you know, they whoever did the research, they knew what was going on um cuz it's not that accurate but it's also not completely far-fetched either right well you know like that um what's that i've never seen it but the before chuck yeager ever broke the sound barrier there was a movie in which uh ralph richardson i think okay uh, plays a pilot who uh uh, breaks the sound barrier and it's um it's like ridiculous it makes up this like silent the science about how he did it that is completely like fabricated whereas this is you know it feels a little more grounded in, in reality because it's really more about these the friendship between these two men sure. than it is about the the moon. All right.
0: Uh next movie I have at least in 69 it also has Duvall in it. Uh is that the Rain
1: people? Yeah. Yeah. I think this was one of uh one of if I had to put in my like cramming over the past couple months this is one of two I would consider major discoveries for me. Cause I think the rain people is absolutely beautiful. It's It'll be right before I revisit it because it's all, it's all like very upsetting. Oh yeah. Sure. Um, in, in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, yeah, I talked a whole bunch about countdown. Why don't you talk about the rain people?
0: Um, yeah. The rain people is a movie that if it were made now, would probably be considered a little problematic because uh, Khan plays a hitchhiker um, to Shirley Knight, I think is the woman in it, right?
1: Uh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Shirley Knight.
0: Shirley Knight. She, um, is kind of the main character. She he has just left her husband. Um, we find out pretty quickly that she's pregnant and just doesn't feel like this is the right environment for her. So she just kind of bolts in the middle of the night. She picks up, uh, on the side of the road, um, kind of gets to know him, gets to liken him. Um, and kind of gradually discovers that he is, um, I always feel like I'm going to get in trouble here. Is this, is the term still mentally handicapped?
1: I, I don't know, but he's, it's not a birth thing. It's a football injury. Yes. And, and that that he has a, a, a mental, I don't know what the word is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they say
0: that he has a metal plate in his head, which I guess impairs one or could. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, um you know, she hasn't taken any overt romantic action towards him, but had kind of been developing feelings for him. And that's kind of like throws off her perception of kind of where the relationship is at and where it could be. And so it just kind of becomes a somewhat sweeter and um, more vulnerable experience for both of them um, in trying to figure out how they can settle into themselves together and separately. Um, And she's trying to find somebody who can be responsible for him um,
1: with yeah, That's what I wanted to point out. Cause you say sweet and like there is that, but like a lot of the premise of the movie is her resisting having any responsibility or care for this guy. Like she she's feeling it, but she keeps trying to pawn him off on other people.
0: But that's what becomes so sweet about it is that she keeps seeing this, these scenarios in which he wouldn't be well-served by her just leaving him. And she keeps kind of going back for him, you know, yeah that she kind of continually feels this degree of responsibility and can't let go of that. And even as she's tr- reached this point in her life where she's trying to let go of responsibilities and trying to kind of set herself out on her own, she has found somebody to whom she feels in debt and be slightly burdened by it. But I think it also gives her more agency maybe than she had in her marriage. It's kind of the impression I got. Right. Um, right. And, I mean, Khan's really good in the movie. Like I said, it's, you know, the kind of casting that now probably would be looked at uh, with a more critical eye. But um, he kind of throughout his career plays people who aren't, you know, the most intelligent. And I think um, this character gives him license to play somebody, I think, less conniving than we usually see someone, some of those later characters.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a... um... There's a sweetness to him here that I I feel like um we don't see as much la- later on. There's yeah. I, mean, I I used the word vulnerability earlier in, in the episode, but um uh yeah, but it's it's a it's a I think a very well pitched performance and that it's not he's not overdoing the 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 mental issues you know and, right. and making it like a, a caricature but he's also not overdoing the like uh oh he's just a sweet innocent teddy bear like angle either it's it's a it's very uh specifically uh calibrated the
0: yeah I mean he plays it as a guy who's like he can tell he's missing out on something in most scenarios but he can't quite tell what. And he's kind of constantly, you can see him kind of constantly trying to play catch up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of sadness to his situation. Oh, for sure. And, and um, it's sad to see people willing to take advantage. Um, uh, but then, yeah, uh, Robert Duvall plays a, like a highway patrolman, I think. Yeah. Or local deputy or something. Yeah.
0: It's kind of funny to see him like slide into this like smooth operator mode where he's like trying to pick up <laughs> Shirley Knight. It's, yeah. Like, not uh, again, not a where You usually see Duvall in either. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, are we moving on to 1971? I'm 71. Yeah. Is it Brian's song? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't like, I didn't like this.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> I I didn't like it as much as I, I thought I would given it has a pretty strong reputation still. Um, I think it was in uh, Madsulger sites and Alan Seppenwall wrote a book on the history tv and kind of places in the top five tv movies of all time um and earned james con on uh, emmy nomination and it seems like this kind of like put him on a, the map in a significant way as kind of like mm-hmm. a hefty dramatic leading presence it was a hugely popular movie it was like the most viewed t- not only just tv movie but any movie to be showed on tv at all of that year um and so it was really like a kind of cultural force it's about um so james conn plays a good old Southern boy, not the most convincing Southern accent, but yeah, you know, he's putting on. Um, who is starting out with the uh Dallas Cowboys, right? Or no? No, isn't it Chicago? It's the Bears, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Starting out with the Chicago Bears. Um alongside I love
1: like this era of movies when like professional sports wasn't big enough to have that much control over there. I mean, I guess that the Bears come off kind of well here. Yeah, I think but, so. But um you could just like put Sports teams. Well, I always, for some reason, I always think of like um, the friends of Eddie Coyle has like oh sure actual foot. They go to a Boston Bruins game. And there's just actual footage of the Bruins <laughs> playing um, in in a movie that's not you know uh, it's not a squeaky clean uh, uh, right. family friendly NHL image. All right, so sorry, back to Brian's song.
0: Yeah, so uh, he plays the titular Brian, um, who's starting out with the Chicago Bears in some football position. I can't remember um alongside uh, billy d williams um who is a more talented player but obviously um the, the movie takes place like fairly close to when it was made i think it was it takes place in like the mid-60s i want to say okay um and it's based on a true story so uh, of course there's the racial segregation issue and um all the things that billy d williams character who i cannot remember the name of um has to overcome um and kind of the dramatic pitch of the story, so to speak, is that um, they're rooming the two of them together, apparently for the first time in at least the Bears um, franchise history. The first time uh, they have roomed a black man and white man together together. Um, and the kind of form of fast friendship and you know i i see the ways in which the movie doesn't totally work but i do think the ways in which the two of them bond are very honest and well thought out that they don't have like a lot of real heart-to-hearts it's just in the way that guys do when they like rag on each other and kind of almost open up in certain moments but really are just like a presence in each other's lives to encourage the other to be a little bit better and to essentially their competitiveness bonds them, um which I think keeps the movie churning even when it can become a little bit um i mean frankly, like movie of the week, which it was
1: yeah, I think that's the stuff that I was um uh, unfortunately fixated too much on just not liking um the the mawkishness and the kind of like uh the sanded down edges of the race uh sure. relation issues. Um and yeah, I mean there like uh to our younger listeners, there was a time when the bar was considerably lower for television than it oh, yeah. was for movies. Um and uh I think this is yeah, calling this one of the greatest TV movies of all time is probably um probably fitting in, in <laughs> by that old rubric where that right. was a, that was a big asterisk.
0: Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say about it is, um, so James Conn's character, um, starts to develop cancer and the big, you know, pitch of the movie is that, um, he's like dying and can't play football, et cetera, et cetera. Very TV movie of the week. Uh, Conn, I think plays the physical, uh, disintegration of that very well. Um, I think especially his final scene is some really, really strong acting. And obviously physical incapacity will play a role in a future James Conn performance
1: yes so now we move on to the big one yeah the godfather sonny corleone 1972
0: which like Um, you i haven't seen in full in quite some time i I rewatched some scenes of it this past week just to kind of get back in the mode of it and kind of remind myself of what's so striking about the film and his performance in particular and yeah i mean it's easy to see why he became and why really everybody became a star based on the movie but especially him and i'm I am one of those who prefers part two over the original, but when I get drawn to the original, I think it was really because of Khan, Um, the dynamic that he brings to the movie. You know, I mean, Brando's great, of course, but I think a lot of what he's bringing to the movie is there in two as well. I think what Khan brings to it is a very uh dynamic energy that the second one doesn't have as much and a lot of kind of the plottiness that the first is well served by having a character who's so eager to be active at all times
1: yeah that's um that's definitely what i remember is is that um he he has this uh uh this this energy that almost wants to uh uh like pull the movie forward and yeah. and and he, he he keeps wanting to 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 move things and 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 he's uh uh it's and it's it that that presence is very much missed when he's gone because he's not in he's not in the whole movie as we know right um uh and and i and i do think that that's um i don't know because it's been so long i can't remember how far into the movie it is before he he gets it it's Um, a good ways is it really? Okay. I remember for some reason I remember it being earlier on, but um uh yeah, it's still um you um uh that he he puts such a stamp on on the movie that that his uh his absence is 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 palpable.
0: Yeah, and that's like where I, I think a lot of the passive energy in like part two comes through is that there's you know michael's the more methodical leader but he doesn't have the dynamic quality or the ability to kind of get like the uh charisma really to gather people together the way that Khan does and even though sunny is clearly not you know designed to lead the families he has kind of the force of personality that uh, a leader should have and kind of the warmth a leader should have that michael clearly doesn't uh
1: all right well let's move on to the next year and a movie I'm very glad I watched even though it's kind of a trifle of a movie uh howard Zeef's slither haven't seen it. um it's it's a a, a very like sort of uh ramshackle crime comedy um about a uh let's see he's a a car thief i've forgotten that i'm just looking that up on IMDb. He's, he's he's a car thief but he gets out on parole and it's basically he's it's it's the the bit here or whatever is that he's he wants to go straight but he keeps getting drawn back into weird like capers and yes. um uh it's it's got um uh peter boyle and 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 sally kellerman um and also uh alex rocco uh in a small role but um uh yeah it's it's a really just a, a, a it feels very early to mid-70s sort of slapdash um fuck around like <laughs> <laughs> movie that's never t- never taking itself too seriously like the whole the guy i can't remember who play who plays the actor or who plays the actor who is the actor who plays the guy he gets out a prison with, and the guy's like, "Come over to you know, I'll set you up with a job. Come over to my house and like, threat this guy's house. um All of like thirty seconds before people show up and start shooting at them from outside the house, <laughs> and like, they kill the guy. And the guy says like, uh, uh he's like, there's a secret. Comp-. He's like dying. Mm-hmm. there's People, we don't know who's I, who's out there shooting at him, and he's he's like dying, and he says hide there's a secret like uh trap door go hide under there so he goes and hides under there and while he's under there the guy's like last act before he dies is he blows himself up <laughs> and then james kind comes up into what was once a, ha- a house and is now just a bunch of like shrapnel and wood and stuff in a in a field and everyone's gone and he just like takes a car and leave and that's how the movie starts awesome it's, yeah, it's, it's a it's a very fun and and silly movie um and also um like I said, Sally Kel- Sally Kellerman is the uh the uh female lead, the romantic lead, I guess. Uh and she is also somewhat recently passed away, last mm. last few months or so. So RIP to Sally Kellerman too. Um uh should move on to nineteen seventy four.
0: Yeah, I mean I can start with another like total screw around seventies movie that I, I mean it's been a long time since I've seen this, so I don't remember that well. But Freebie and the Bean. Um okay is a whole lot of fun as i recall it's like similar to like you saying they like start the movie by kind of randomly blowing up a house or whatever yeah (laughs) there's a certain degree of Seven News movies where they just seem to have too much money and seem to like have to spend it in some way that's like vaguely irresponsible so there's like all kinds of ridiculous car chases and car crashes and stuff in this movie um i think it's most famous now for being um very uh, politically incorrect in the way that James Kahn and Alan Arkin talk to each other. Um, they right. play the um, respective freebie and the bean. Um, but if you can hang with that, uh, there's a lot of really funny lines, and certainly pairing two guys like Alan Arkin and James Caan, um make for a lot of really fun scenes and a lot of great energy. The two of them in the 70s really... We're just, I mean, like a lot of actors, especially the men in the 70s, we're just really letting it all hang loose and putting themselves out there and just having a ball. Um, yeah, like I said, it's been a long time since I don't remember any specifics other than that, but um, it's definitely con in full movie star mode.
1: I've, I've never seen it, but I'm looking at the cast list now. Weird coincidence. So Slither, he stars with Sally Kellerman. Right. Sally Kellerman. In this movie, the female lead appears to be Loretta Swit, the Two actresses who played Margaret Houlihan in MASH. Oh. Sally Kellerman in the movie and Loretta Swit on the TV show. Right on.
0: Interesting. I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm MASH as well as you do, but there you go. It's a
1: good, good TV show. Uh, uh, well, other, I. No, go ahead. Yeah, The, the Gambler is also 1974. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, this is a, a, a terrific movie. Speaking of uh, Paul Sorvino, uh, RIP um he he plays a um uh, a bookie i guess he plays the yeah. there's multiple bookies in the movie but he plays the one who's like is kind of friendly or like wants james con to stop <laughs> destroying <laughs> his life there's always that, that still one take his yeah yeah um i'd seen uh, i had seen the mark Wahlberg remake from two twenty 14 or 15 or whatever. I, I hadn't seen this before. I, I watched it and uh, it's obviously better than the original and and um feels I mean obviously better than now the remake. Uh, better than the remake is what i meant to say and feels obviously now like an um uh, a huge influence on uncut gems. Oh yeah. Uh because it has that same energy of just the guy like he owes so much money and then he makes a bet and he wins and he's like, and, and there's a part of you as a viewer is like, Oh, thank God he's got the money to pay off his debts. But instead yeah. he just turns around and bets that money. Or... He's the gambler.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it is the exact scenario of every gambling movie. You know, it's in, it's in California split. It's in, um, mm-hmm. what was the other gambling movie? I was just thinking of, um, well, Mississippi grind, grind and, yeah. um, that one that, uh, Joe Swanberg made with, uh, Jake Johnson, I can't remember what it's called, but anyway, every gambling movie has that exact same arc of like, you know, there's the guy, he he starts out in the hole, comes a little bit out of the hole, but only to get further back into the hole yeah, and on and on and on. Um, I do like that uh, James Conn is a teacher, which like is not the kind of profession you would expect a degenerate gambler to have. And you certainly wouldn't expect a teacher to dress like James Conn does in this movie (laughs) with like the super button down 70s shirt, just like letting the chest hair hang out um but it is a definitely iconic con look
1: yeah um uh yeah I guess I wasn't surprised he was a teacher because Mark Wahlberg was in the Mark Wahlberg course course I knew he was coming um but uh yeah also the fact that he comes from uh not he's not just well off he comes from a, a wealthy family yeah um and uh I don't know what we're supposed to glean about what that how that informed his relationship to money well it's like that he essentially
0: doesn't know the bottom and wants to see if he can get there kind of thing and right. knows in the back of his head even if he does he's still got a windfall waiting for him if uh, he really gets desperate
1: um all right let's move on to 1975
0: it is worth at uh, least mentioning they does show oh. up at the end of godfather part two
1: um Oh, see, I didn't even remember the bay. Yeah, I'm seeing it here, uncredited. On, credited on yeah.
0: yeah, at the very end of Godfather Part Two, there's a little flashback scene to um, one of Vito's birthday parties, um, and the kids are all together, kind of talking about. Um, oh, it's right before Michael's about to go off to the war, so it takes place, you know, a few years before um, oh. Part One. Um, so it was new
1: footage that they
0: shot. Yeah, they shot it for Part Two. Um, oh, cool. So yeah the whole point is that Michael was supposed to be the college boy, but he says he's going to go join the army. And so they're having a big debate about that. And no deciding not to tell Vito at least right away. I can't remember exactly how that scene goes, but it kind of like, it's exactly what we're talking about where it reminds us everything that we've been missing because Sonny isn't there because Vito isn't there because Michael's kind of lost his family along the way Mm -hmm. and shows, I guess that that part of Michael, the need to be independent of his family had always been there but also how much warmth he's lost and how much humanity he's lost because of it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a very brief scene. I think it's only composed of a single shot, but um, Khan can come in and kind of bring it all back.
1: Uh, All right. 1975. And I guess this is like you were saying with Phoebe and the Bean, very much movie star material, I guess, but I, I am not a fan of Norman Jewison's rollerball. I hate it. I think it's so Uh, boring. yeah okay i'm glad that you feel that way it, it's 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 self-important for for something that should have so much fun in it yeah. it's not fun no it's a, like i especially supposed to be like this violent sci-fi dystopian movie but it's I, mean, I guess dystopia isn't fun but tell that to the last 15 years of movies um uh it's it's yeah it's dull and overlong
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all that stuff before kind of like Star Wars and John Carpenter reminded people how to have fun sci-fi movies from like post 2001. All these 70s sci-fi movies were just such a drag. And it's like, yeah, I, I know we almost like lost democracy for a second there. We were coming out of Vietnam and the world does look a little dim, but just have like some scene of tension at least, like have something to juice the plot a little bit. Yeah. And yeah, I've, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I don't remember Khan being given a lot to do kind of just like tampered down and made to be in the kind of like 70s sci-fi dull leading man role.
1: But he's also like a star athlete. Right. Which he's played before, but this is like the boring, sad version, I guess. Yeah. It was, this is somehow less fun than him dying of cancer as a <laughs> Chicago bear. Yeah. He was having a ball then compared to being yeah. a freaking rollerball star. Um, well, I'm glad we're on the same page as Rollerball, because there are people who really like it, and I don't... Uh, and I, I remember I just sitting it.
0: there however long ago watching it, just being like, be over. Is, <laughs> how is this still going?
1: Um, Another bit of trivia. Um, John McTiernan remade two different Norman Jewison movies. He remade Rollerball, right. and he remade The Thomas Crown Affair. Oh, yeah. No, good for him, I guess. I,
0: I never Weird. saw... I guess I haven't seen either of his remakes, so I, I can't speak to, I'm sure he at least made Rollerball more entertaining.
1: Yeah, that one I haven't seen. I've seen, I've seen both Thomas affairs and uh, I actually think his is probably better. Okay. <laughs> well, Nick is better.
0: Yeah, the original's nothing to really write home about, you know. We, yeah. we, we all love the big, I don't know, rotating kiss scene or whatever it is. Right. But um, that's about all I remember from it.
1: So, I know I've got nothing until 1978 after this. Uh, my next is 80. Okay. So, uh, yeah, 1978, um, Alan J. Uh, Pakula?
0: I don't know how you say his name. I Pakula? trade off on it. That and Pacula.
1: Pakula sounds too much like Dracula.
0: Well, sure. But, you know, <laughs> whoever invented the name Pakula or whatever it is didn't know that.
1: Uh, Alan J. Pakula's Comes a Horseman, which is... Um, I didn't know, like I'd heard of this movie um, and I knew obviously the title. I didn't realize that it's, it's kind of like uh power of the dog era. Like it's a Western, but it's like a later Western where there are mm. cars and stuff. Sure. <laughs> you, you know, but I it's like still very much a Western
0: description of a time period. Cause so like there will be blood times.
1: Yeah, I guess. But I, cause I don't want to say modern Western cause it's not like it takes place in the seventies. Right. Yeah, of course. It's, it's just a <laughs> post post automobile Western. <laughs>
0: Where they had the horseless carriage, but also still some horses.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, And this is another one that is, I feel like we're, like, two in a row now where where I'm going to say, like, I I think it's better than Rollerball um, simply by virtue of being, you know, shot in the American West and is often a a very pretty uh, movie and also has some, like, (laughs) I, I think this is also a not like phoebe and the bean i think this is actually a prestige, like pricey movie because right. there are they're like um there's an oil type of storyline where um um on jason robard's land which neighbors jane fondas they're like blowing up the land to try and find oil so there's like these really stunning shots of these like beautiful vistas of this valley and then just like poof, poof, just like huge explosions uh uh going off and then they also burn down a house later in the movie it's um uh there's a lot of, of there's a lot of stuff that's nice to look at the the, the it's uh gordon willis shot it oh, uh, who sure. also shot the godfather movies so um it's it's got that uh but it is it's a little limp and um it's uh Jane Fonda so uh James Conn is like a I guess he's a cowboy or whatever who um signs on as Jane Fonda's like helping hand because she's like trying to run a ranch by herself and Jason Robards is the like um local like ranch what's someone looking for like baron who uh wants to buy her her land and she doesn't want to sell and so James Conn uh, hires on it's like a hired hand but then becomes her full partner and then maybe becomes a little more if you mm. know what i mean um no i have no idea <laughs> uh You've lost but me. i think that uh, uh a, a lot of the um i, I don't know it, it it maybe i'm stupid but <laughs> like a lot of the intrigue is so downplayed that I kept going like, wait, why, like, why does Jason Robards hate that other guy? No, like I, fair. like I kept forgetting cause it's, it's, it's all simmering in a way that maybe uh, loses the the boil a little bit as it, as it goes on. But um, Richard Farnsworth is in it uh, in the early going um, as Richard Farnsworth tends to do in movies. He dies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Most famous. That made me think of a thing Duvall said where he like was reflecting on the last 20 years of his career. He's like, I've been dying for too long.
1: movies." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there's also speaking of people who don't last very long into the movie early on, there's a very uh, early performance by Mark Harmon, a young Mark Harmon who, um, is uh, just stunningly handsome at this point. Sure. I mean, I've obviously Mark Harmon is handsome to this day, but just uh, stunningly handsome, and then and then he dies. It's sad. Yeah, too handsome to live. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. All right, so you're, we're moving on to
0: 1980. Yeah, if that's the next. Uh, yeah, no years in between. No, yeah. Um, I got uh, James Conn's one directed feature. The sole time that he stepped behind the camera. Couldn't take it anymore. Um, 1980s hide in plain sight. I actually just uh, watched this like two hours ago. Um, okay. Crammed in at the last minute. Really glad I did. Uh, it's I, I, can, I can see why it didn't leave much of an impression at the time. And it kind of failed at the box office. So I can see why he didn't direct another movie. But it's kind of too bad because it's a pretty strong uh, film. It's got a, it's a terrific premise for starters, which for a 90 minute movie is sometimes plenty on its own. Um, the premise is that, uh, Khan plays a divorced guy who, um, really loves his kids, really wants to be part of his kids' life as so much as possible. Um, his wife is, has gotten together with a kind of shady character who we quickly discover is involved in crime. Um, and they get married kind of against James Khan's protests. He's like, you know, I don't want my kids growing up in this kind of environment with this kind of shady guy. Um, and then one day he goes to pick the kids up and they're not there. The whole family is gone. The house is just emptied. Uh, he kind of quickly figures out that probably they were moved into witness protection program. And as the witness protection program is designed to do, uh, Khan has no way to access them. He has no way to contact them or see them at all. And it becomes about his uh, legal fight to do so. Um, it's based on a real, a true story that at the time it seemed like it was still kind of in litigation um at the time the movie was made that is um and it's just spare enough that these kind of sketches of a premise keep it going it's really kind of smartly structured and smartly told there's just enough in one scene to kind of get you to the next and kind of leave you to fill in the blanks of kind of what connected the two scenes together um which kind of fills out what could become kind of a thin series of you know, James Kahn going to various offices and demanding more information or more help or whatever. Um, And Conn's really good in it. He plays kind of a blue collar worker who's in and out of work. He has a steady gig, but they can't always keep the same people on hours, that kind of thing. Um, So he's kind of struggling to make ends meet. He's recently met a uh, school teacher and kind of fall in love with her. And they are kind of starting a new family she gets pregnant pretty soon. Um, and so she's like, you know, I want you to have your kids back, but at the same time, like, we're trying to start a family too. And all these kind of different elements build in such a gradual way. I don't even think the kids and mom go missing until like a half hour into the film. So, um, the premise kind of almost catches us off guard. And by the t- that time, there's only an hour left in the movie. So, um, there's no sense of it like kind of dragging out, even as um, you can tell it's kind of wearing on Khan's character. And there comes points in the time when it becomes potentially advantageous where he should get aligned with the mob because they're also looking for this guy because they want to kill him for ratting them out. And so they're like, you know, we can help you, but he realizes that that'll just bring his kids closer to danger. And so he's kind of torn in all these really interesting directions and he's not, um, savvy enough to figure out the best ways out of them. Always, you know, he's the movie smartly told him that um, Khan's character isn't the smartest guy and isn't always the nicest guy, and that kind of holds him back from getting his ultimate goal. Even as I mean, like I said at the top, it's James Khan, so we can tell he's going to be determined. He's going to get to his goal no matter what, and kind of see his plan all the way through but he's just not quite smart enough to go about it in quite the best way. Um, So yeah, it's got a lot of great texture to it. It takes place in Buffalo and has what feels like a lot of really honest local flavor. Um, And yeah, I really, even before kind of the premise kicks in, I just found it to be this really charming family uh, drama slash romance. And then by the time the plot kicks in, the characters are so endearing and so interesting that, um, it's more than enough to carry us through uh yeah, really strong movie. I wish he'd direct it again, but um strong solo effort,
1: okay, so moving on to nineteen eighty one and yeah the biggest uh blind spot I think on my list that I got to fill in here, obviously Michael Mann's thief, it's been something I've been meaning to get to for forever, and I guess I was just waiting for James kind to die um, to, <laughs> to watch it for for some reason um uh yeah i uh, um it has. I mean, I, I want to talk more about James Con than than Michael Mann, but it. I, I still do want to talk about Michael Mann and how, uh, in awe I can be sometimes of the way his movies feel like they're big. There's there's so much. There's a there's a bigness and a boldness to them, and yet they move like. Trying to think of like a a a metaphor, like a like a like a like a tank, but on like ice skates. (laughs) That makes sense. Like there's a hugeness to his movies, but also an agility and a delicacy um, that uh, it's very a very difficult needle to to thread. And so this is, in many ways, it's a like a, a a big prime movie you know that has like slow motion shootouts and um and it has a uh james conn playing a uh <laughs> i talked about that, that swaggering machismo thing uh earlier that's definitely what he's got going on here he basically like gets he gets the girl like by force, Just, like well, walks yeah. into the bar and like grabs her and is basically like, "You're with me now, and then she is uh for the, <laughs> the rest of the movie um, uh yeah, speaking of things speaking of things that wouldn't play well uh today, I don't think um uh but there's also so much uh beauty to the movie and and there's the um uh the the main center like centerpiece like heist sequence that has a lot of um it has a lot of what i'm talking about it is people like pounding their way or using machinery to blow their way into uh into a vault but it's also gorgeous to look at because there's these sparks uh sparks flying um you've also got a i i feel like we don't get this enough anymore a remnant of uh 80s filmmaking um men bonding on the beach <laughs> <laughs> sure Like, after the successful heist, James Gunn and and, um, Jim Belushi uh, are on the beach. And it reminded me of, like, obviously Top Gun and, like, beach volleyball, but then um, uh, Rocky 3 and uh, Rocky, Rocky and Apollo, like, they're, like... They're racing on the beach to train, but also they're kind of like fucking with each <laughs> right. other a little bit. <laughs> like, just yeah, men on men on the beach. Uh, the beach was a big place for male bonding in the '80s and movies. David, uh, if you want to go to the beach with me, you can just <laughs> this say. This is hey, what i come at. in this
0: like yeah. backdoor way of like talking about Rocky Three.
1: Yeah. Um, anyway, but uh, yeah, James Con. I guess much like we were both saying about his performance in in the Godfather movies is. Um, just a uh, uh, a a force in this movie to be oh, yeah. to be reckoned with. He's he's punching his way or headbutting his way from one scene to the next through through the movie itself. It feels like at times.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is like the con performance for me, I think for a lot of people. And I'm not like like I like Michael Mann in his movies, all right, but this I think works so well for me because of Con and because he's so charismatic. And he's just filmed in an interesting way where like, I mean, Khan's a big guy and big broad shoulders, but he, I, I th- he looks like gigantic in a lot of shots of this movie. Um, <laughs> and certainly like that positions him well, every time he has to go toe to toe with anyone who thinks they can get one up on him. Um, this is probably the chief like exemplar of what I mean of like, he doesn't play a guy at the top of the food chain criminal wise, but he's the most talented guy in the bunch. And he's going to come out on top because he knows his shit and he knows himself. He knows what he's capable of and he knows what he can do. Um, and watching him kind of juggle the criminal aspect, the relationship stuff um, and trying to like, also build out something of a life outside of crime is so good. And like just him getting on the phone and be like, or the one two jobs tops just get out um yeah. like every scene he brings so much um intention and direction to that it just kind of like forces the movie along whereas i think i, I don't know I, I feel like sometimes for me michael mann movies can feel a little sleepy um but con definitely keeps it alive
1: uh man i like that you're the the uh michael mann uh, naysayer um i know don't tell uh, every, Twitter. yeah everyone loves michael Mann now but i Uh, I'm guilty. I've always, um, uh, even before I really knew who he was, I think. um, Well, I think like I probably the weirdly the first movie I knew like sat down knowing I was watching a Michael Mann movie was probably the insider, which is a great movie. But now when I think of what makes a Michael Mann movie, it's not one of the ones that come up. I look in in retrospect, I realize like, Oh, the things I loved about heat and Manhunter, those are the Michael Mann things that i that i love and then of course public enemies is a you know a milestone for me right all right um i'm jumping all the way to 1990
0: uh, i got 87 which uh is uh, gardens of stone which reteams him with francis ford coppola um it came about at a tough time for coppola because midway through the shoot um his son died in like mm. a horrific accident um but actually i didn't know this so i knew that part of it and that like he kept kind of carrying on kind of making the movie while grieving his son uh, but apparently one of the guys who was originally cast in the movie was like involved and somewhat responsible for his son's death and like got charged with i think either charged with or um accused of manslaughter as like a result of the investigation into his son's death so that guy of course was fired off the movie pretty quickly and replaced with some other guy um but uh, this is another one that positions James Khan as like a certain degree up on the food chain and uh, one where he wants to be a little bit higher. Uh, he plays a career army guy who has somehow landed a job essentially just burying people during the Vietnam War. So he's the guy who's in charge of the kind of ceremonies that go on to bury soldiers, all those 21 gun loose and handing off the flag to the widows and all that kind of stuff. Somebody's got to manage all that and that's james con's job uh it's actually kind of he and james earl jones heading up that operation and the two of them have amazing chemistry as you might expect um they're kind of these two longtime army guys i think they served in korea together um so they have like a really strong relationship and just kind of that great shorthand uh, thing that you see in a lot of strong army movies Mm -hmm. um and Khan's also trying to romance a reporter played by Angelica Houston. And the two of them also have that kind of great, similar to thief actually him in um, Tuesday. Weld. there's a lot of con movies where he's kind of trying to put the moves on a woman. He's less forceful in, about it in this than he was in thief. <laughs> but um, we'll see, I think as he gets older, a recurring motif of James Conn trying to woo a woman who's a little bit outside of his league and trying to, uh, make himself seem a little bit more educated, a little bit more refined, a little bit more together than he might have things. And that is definitely the case with uh, gardens of stone. And it, it's interesting for it to come about in 1987, where you kind of get the rise of, uh, shall we say boomers feeling good about themselves movies where it's like, <laughs> Oh yeah, we all knew the Vietnam war was bad kind of thing. And like a lot of movies start to come out over the next few years of like really patting themselves on the back for like being so right about history and all that kind of stuff. And this is kind of like at the dawn of that, but it still acknowledges the kind of like culture of the time was kind of in favor of Vietnam. And so Mm. Khan and James Earl Jones are both like kind of right-minded, not right morally, but right wing minded guys, Mm. but not like gung-ho. Khan kind of has some objections to the war that are more like strategic. He just doesn't see it as a a war they can win. And certainly as a guy who's responsible for burying all the young men who are you know coming home in caskets mm-hmm. seeing kind of the bad side of it um so it, it kind of approaches the war in a more nuanced way than i think um the ensuing years would in that it's about a lot of guys who really want to be part of a good war that is being well fought and are kind of being let down by army leadership And, uh, you know, it's definitely not one of Coppola's strongest movies. You can see that he wasn't as, you know, understandably so, given personal circumstances, he was kind of um, disengaged from it and came apart about a time in his career when he wasn't necessarily making a series of masterpieces. You know, I really like Peggy Sue Got Married, and especially Tucker, a man in his dream. Um, But, you know, it's not, um, you know, they're still kind of paycheck gigs and he's still still taking them to um, get himself back on his Mm. feet. But uh Khan's really good. James Earl Jones is really good. You got like Elias Kataeus in there as a young hotshot. Um, definitely like in his like full Twitchy want Be Brando mode. But um <laughs> there there's enough good in it to keep it going. And it, like I said, it really exemplifies a lot of Khan's strengths.
1: Uh all right. Um now Dick Tracy. I haven't seen since i was a kid and also james khan's character dies like in the first scene i, I know i i <laughs> so saw I don't really it many years
0: ago so i remember nothing other than that he's in it and it's worth mentioning uh
1: yeah uh but then also in 1990 is rob reiner's misery which i will let you take the lead on because i know you just watched it
0: yeah um it, one that's been on my list for years and like you a thief apparently i was just waiting for james khan to die Yeah. (laughs) Frustratingly, it had been floating in and off of like HBO Max and Hulu and various other streaming sources for years, and I just like kept putting it off for that reason. Be like, oh, I always have a way to watch it. But then, sure enough, when Khan dies, the freaking ghouls that uh, whoever pulls these levers jacked it up to a $15 buy only. Fortunately, my good friend David backs has the Blu-ray lent to me. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Which led to you seeing me in my pajamas, which is rare. No one sees me in my pajamas, but <laughs> you came by to buy a bar of the Blu-ray and I was already
0: already way in on nighttime. Yeah. Um, I woke you up out of bed. Like Ebony's your Scrooge <laughs> and you came down in your nightcap and you're
1: <laughs> holding a candlestick. Candle. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Who goes there? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it was interesting watching it cause it's like such a culturally like forceful movie and one that like has a lot of like iconography in the popular consciousness and it's a lot like stranger than i it kind of expected it's certainly a lot funnier and sh- shot by barry sonnenfeld and it kind of has a certain like cohen vibe to it because he shot you know all the early cohen brothers movies and it has kind of that same like wide angle lens weird angles on it kind of perspective that really juices what certainly could be a very um visually dull premise of a guy gets in a car accident and is trapped in this woman's house because she's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. And just like the texture of um, Kathy Bates character is like so unusual and so strange. How it's like, she can be like so terribly sweet. I thought she would just be like nonstop crazy the whole movie, but um, she's like very charming and very like simple and sweet in a lot of ways. And you know, they, they apparently turned through like offering this part to like a dozen different actors before they got around to james conn um and you can see why because it's not a typical james conn kind of role you don't usually picture him as a housebound author um usually he needs to be like on his feet a little bit more and like punching people yeah. and this is
1: what we, yeah you you pointed out he's normally more physical and less brainy and here it's the the exact opposite
0: but i think because like what i've been talking about with like you get the sense with James Conn's characters that they're gonna see their way through any situation no matter what and kind of get their goals met. Uh, there's a certain like steeliness that we and reserve and uh, determination that we associate with Khan that I think serves this character well. Uh, one of the things I read and as they were going around trying to offer it to people is that Warren Beatty was interested but he wanted to make the character less passive. James Con didn't kind of have those reservations and I think he is so good at finding ways to make uh, this guy so active and you can see just by the way he looks at Annie in different scenes and kind of the way he responds, what he's thinking and what he's trying to achieve by the way he's saying um, what could be pretty routine lines. And then, I mean, like I said, with when we talk about Brian's song, like the way he plays, the physical limitations, of the character, the pain that the character has to endure to do really simple activities is really good. And like, if as much as Kathy Bates, I, understandably, I think rightly gets all the, recognition for the performance. I don't think the movie would work as well if somebody like Khan wasn't giving it so much effort.
1: Uh yeah, I haven't seen it in in a long time. Um but I saw it uh, multiple times when I was when I was younger. Uh and yeah I definitely remember the the humor that you're uh talking about. And also again Richard Farnsworth um is is in this movie. And um Doesn't the last time it. I watched it yeah yeah um but yeah the last time i watched this movie i remember thinking like oh there's also this whole like mystery like detective angle. Yeah. like like Richard Farms-O's character is like he's it, there's another version of this movie to be made where he's like the small town uh um oh my god sam spade or something sure and i don't mean to spoil a 30 year old movie
0: but him the way he dies got a genuine laugh out of me <laughs> yeah. i was like so taken off guard and so amused by the way that was presented
1: yeah yeah there's a lot of um there's a lot of stephen king um in it and some of the the goofiness that uh, that is that that's that's funny a lot of i mean a lot of um Kathy bates dialogue comes right out of oh, the yeah. the the book i uh, sure because you can't have a character talk like a stephen king character and not sound a little crazy at least he's supposed to be crazy <laughs> sure um all right let's move on <clears throat> next up for me is 92 what do you have uh not till 96 so go okay so it. uh 1992's honeymoon in vegas um listeners might remember that uh a, a while i guess over a year ago we did an episode of the podcast just my wife natalie and i where we talked about all of the movies that she loved that she made me watch for the first time during the pandemic. Right. And, uh, some were winners and some were not. And then <laughs> Honey- Honeymoon in Vegas is, I would say mostly in between, um, <laughs> but it has, uh, so the premise is, that uh, uh, Nick Cage and Sarah Jessica Parker are honeymoon in, in, in Vegas. And then James Kahn plays a, uh, rich guy. Who's probably a criminal, um, who takes uh, an interest in Sarah Jessica Parker and uh, it has the, the indecent proposal type of, like, okay. you know, let me hang, let me take your wife to dinner, or whatever. And then he ends up taking her to Hawaii and everything. Anyway, um, it's got this kind of long um, middle section that's, uh, uh, that drags a, a little bit, but it ends. The final act of this movie is worth watching the movie for because oh, the way that it has to, like, the the pieces it has to move into place to have this finale where they're on the street on the sunset strip and nicholas cage is dressed as elvis and shows that sarah jessica parker is dressed as a vegas showgirl even though neither of them are those things right <laughs> um it, it it's really fun watching the movie getting the get those things into into place but um yeah james cons is just kind of uh playing on his, and this is maybe an early version of what we'll see in a, at least one of the, probably a couple of movies where um, the fact that he's known one of his, maybe his most famous role um, is a mobster. That's kind of why he's cast here is to yeah. be like the Italian criminal guy. Although his That's character's her. name is Tommy Corman, which uh, is not Italian. So there. Um, okay. So, uh, I spent too much time on Honeymoon in Vegas because I want to talk about, i talked about the rain people being a major discovery for me. The other major discovery for me, a movie I didn't even know existed. 1993's flesh and bone is a mm. great movie. Oh yeah. The only, I didn't even realize that Steve Clovis had directed anything besides the fabulous Baker boys. and I love the fabulous Baker boys. Yeah. He directed another movie, uh, called flesh and bone. It's the only other movie he's directed. Mm. Um, and, um, it's, uh, it's a small role or not. I mean, it's James kind of is not one of the stars in the movie. This is a Dennis Quaid, Meg Ryan movie where sure. Dennis Quaid plays a, a a character. And this is very, like, it, this almost is a modern like a, a Western type movie that's set in 1993. Um, Dennis Quaid plays a character who, as a, who was raised by, a father who was a career criminal and murderer and would use his son as a child to assist him in robberies and home invasions and stuff. And so we get a little bit of that at the beginning. It's, it's a uh, uh, pretty horrific. And then we just jump to the present day and Dennis Quaid is trying to, you know, like his like James Conn and Slither, he's trying to go straight. He's got a job where he drives around supplying vending machines and stocking vending machines at all these like, you know, shit kicker bars and gas stations and <laughs> sure. and, and and truck stops and stuff and in, in in the West. Uh, and then he meets up with uh, uh, a woman who's uh, on the run from uh, uh, a not so good husband, played by Meg Ryan. And uh, at the same time that she comes into his life, his father comes back into his life, and that's James Caan. And uh, is it a coincidence that those two things are happening at the same time? Is it not? You have to watch the movie to find out, hmm. but, um, yeah. So this is a, a, a movie where he's playing again, a like small time hood, but, uh, I'm not sure in so many movies that we're talking about, even like when he's, we talk about him, like, you know, pushing women around in, in, in thief, uh, and, and, and stuff like that. And he's obviously like not a good guy, necessarily he's still often a good guy here he is playing just full-on the villain of the movie and he's Mm. terrifying and he's great um and he has when he comes back into the picture he has enlisted a new a new helper in his crimes played by a very young Gwyneth Paltrow yeah Gwyneth Paltrow plays like a uh, uh a conniving drifter uh uh like teen teenager, or maybe she's supposed to be twenty or so. Yeah. Um fantastic. It's just um a really uh, great movie and a and a big surprise for me. And I don't know why Steve Clovis has not didn't direct for movies. I'm guessing maybe Flesh and Bone was a, a I was
0: guessing probably and, money.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, it might have been a flop and and uh and he didn't uh get the chance to he had to go back to writing you know franchise movies (laughs) which is mostly i feel like he's known for like harry potter scripts right and sounds good steve clovis yeah but i don't know have you seen the fabulous baker boys because i think you. yeah i love the fabulous baker boys yeah Uh, now i really want to see this yeah well it's on uh well it's on prime i know you're not an amazon guy it's also on paramount plus if you have that that's how I watched it. Well, I do use a family
0: member's Prime account from time to time. Okay. Okay. Um that's awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 really good. Um and it's a great like it's an interesting role for Meg Ryan at this time. Like sure. already established as America's sweetheart. And here we see her as kind of like she's you know, she's very likable, but she's also kind of like a a fuck up and and uh um you know you know, living at the in the the dregs of society, kind of a bottom feeder type. It's um, a surprising role for her in that in that time.
0: Yeah, if I had to wager, just quick glance at the movie's box office, did not do well.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, nineteen ninety six. We've got two. Should we start with Bottle Rocket? Uh sure. Yeah, um, I haven't seen it in a long time. It's never been my favorite. Well, nothing's your favorite, Wes Anderson. <laughs> I, I, I mean. Grand Budapest is my favorite. I think right. I for a long time I was saying Fantastic Mr Fox and I do love Fantastic Mr Fox, but I think Grand Budapest is my is my favorite. But um and I never saw Darjeeling Limited, but um oh, that's become one of my big favorites.
0: Yeah. Um Bottle Rocket I still get a huge kick out of and cons really i mean of course comes really good in it but it's great i mean one he's got a great character name mr henry is a great yeah. character name um and the fact that he's again it's like he's a big deal to a bunch of people who don't matter which in turn makes him kind of a small deal and it's funny like right. how much owen wilson talks about how much he loves mr henry and then you meet him and he's just this like ridiculous guy who like has these like leopard print clothes and terrible furniture and it's like tiger tooth necklaces and all this kind of stuff. And like, he is clearly impressed the way all the characters look at him. They're clearly impressed by him, but we look at him and we're just like, this guy's kind of a loser. Um, <laughs> but Kong can like embrace that while still like displaying enough charisma that you can see why he's gathered all these guys kind of around him. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a pretty small role for him. And I've read mixed reports on whether he like got along on the set. All right. Like some of the articles are like, he had fun joshing around with Owen Wilson and stuff. And others are like, he just didn't understand what Wes Anderson was going for. And Wes Anderson wasn't mm-hmm. experienced enough a director to kind of like guide a guy like James Caan through the movie. And I know that Wes Anderson originally wanted Bill Murray for the role. So maybe like that played into it, but still like, in any given scene it he's totally magnetic and totally interesting. And the fact that he's fine looking silly for a first time director and fine like playing this kind of yeah. like, just kind of like mid-level pathetic guy um, is pretty cool and helps uh, kind of juice the movie a little bit.
1: And then the other one in 1996, which I know you watched, I forgot that James Conn was in this because I haven't seen it since it was like a new release sure. on VHS. But I was like on following you on Twitter, and I was like, I wonder why Scott's watching Eraser. <laughs> and like, oh, James Conn's in Eraser. I don't remember. I remember. I do remember Arnold Schwarzenegger shooting an alligator in the face. That's the main thing I remember about racer.
0: I'm surprised the main thing you don't remember is the plane, like not crash, but like I guess Arnold Schwarzenegger's plane escape because that scene freaking rocks and actually this movie had been on my list for a while because i've been trying to watch more like classic arnold schwarzenegger movies which i kind of like i never went through that like 13 14 year old boy phase of really getting into ridiculous action movies um and i guess i'm just now catching up with myself in that regard um so yeah schwarzenegger plays uh kind of a witness protection program guy whose job is erasing people and he seems to chiefly erase people by blowing up their house, which he does on <laughs> two occasions in the first half hour of this movie, in order to rescue them from uh, various criminal forces, which is pretty great. Um, James Con plays his kind of like uh, boss, I guess, like his handler, the guy who like gives him assignments. Who it turns out is maybe uh, perhaps the bad guy in the oh,
1: and
0: but because it's James gone, he's not like the mastermind of this arrangement. He's servicing some political mucky muck um, in order to get some arms deal through the um, you know, through the world and make somebody money on blowing shit up. Um, so at first like con shows up and he's just kind of like a very serviceable managerial type. And I was like, con needs a paycheck i get it you know these (laughs) aren't the salad here's for james con anymore but then like the movie shifts and makes him the bad guy and he really kind of kicks into high gear i'm like oh con's con's having a ball here and he and schwarzenegger make great opposing forces it kind of like got me thinking about the way that like a lot of new hollywood guys were kind of getting slotted into villain roles here you know like you think of dennis hopper in speed Mm -hmm. or shit what was the other one i was thinking of um not quite the same, but like uh, Gene Hackman kind of playing a, uh, a slightly opposing force for most of enemy at the state. Um, mm-hmm. Just these guys kind of shifting into different phase of their careers where they need a younger, more popular star to get the movie going. Oh, no, John Voight in Mission Impossible is the other big one I was thinking of. Oh, right. Um, where it's these guys who are kind of like easily positioned as experts in their field or in several of these cases, like mentor figures at first, who then kind of turn on the main character. Um, it was kind of an interesting twist that uh, on audience sympathies at the time. Um, but Eraser is a pretty fun movie. Like I said, it's got that plane escape, which is fricking awesome, where Schwarzenegger uh, gets drugged on a plane. Um, and then in order to make his escape, like throws open the emergency exit, quickly realizes that he, if he just jumps out, he'll get sucked into the engine. And so he like, kind of like, hurls himself out and like grabbing on the side of the plane, like Tom Cruise. And then he tries to pull the parachute out to like strap that to him. It flies out of the plane. And then he just like skydives after the parachute catches up with the parachute and deploys it. (laughs) And then the plane turns around and James comes like, go back. We still have to kill him. And meanwhile, like the engine's already exploding because some (laughs) other debris like hit it. And so the plane's trying to ram him and Schwarzenegger's shooting the plane to try to divert it. It's so cool, <laughs> that is um, very cool. Yeah, that's kind of like the peak of the movie. The alligator shootout's pretty great too, but then it just the last final action scene is kind of let down, after, especially after all those. It's just kind of a dock showdown. There's just like an arms deal going down to the docks mm. that Schwarzenegger has to prevent. Um, but there's a lot of really cool stuff in the movie. Um, and Khan makes a really good villain.
1: Um, okay, so, um Next up for me is 1999. unless you're. Uh, I
0: technically there. have a 99 release, but I haven't seen it since it came out. And then it's 2000s for me.
1: Okay. So n- the only 99 one is Mickey blue eyes. So I'm guessing you yeah, saw that. When I, I saw it came it out. literally when it came out. I have
0: almost no memory of it.
1: Yeah. It's, um, this is another one that I was talking about, like with the honeymoon in Vegas, it's like James Conn is cast in this because he was Sonny Corleone. Yeah, totally. And the premise is that Hugh Grant is like a toast Hugh Grant type character who is in love with a, uh. A mobster's daughter, I think. And then like he, I can't remember either he witnesses a murder or something. For some reason, he has to pretend to be a mobster to keep other mobsters from killing him. So James Conn is like coaching him in how to be. Yeah, uh, this uh, is about uh, as much uh, as I remember. Yeah, but uh, it's what, what I remember about it is that it it feels like one of those movies that you watch and you can imagine like this, the original version of the screenplay actually had some character and interesting take on this material. And it, I think it got watered down like by the studio because there are, there are things in there. There are things that have survived that are like weird and dark. There's, there's a whole part where, cause Scott Thompson from kids in the hall plays an FBI agent, I think. Okay. And they have to set up Hugh Grant for a sting at like a mobster or whatever. Um, and so we don't know all this, the way we find this all out is it starts with a shot of Hugh Grant. And then he gets shot a bunch of times and it's really bloody. And then he's like, Oh, that hurt. And then like, you realize, Oh, those are squibs and they're preparing him for, uh, this sting operation. But it's like little moments like that, that are, that, that feel like a little bit darker than the, the forgettable studio comedy that this mostly is. Sure. Um, I should watch it again. Maybe Let's see. Yeah. It's right. on HBO um, max.
0: I, I almost put it on just to kind of get a remind myself of it, but didn't have time. Uh,
1: all right. So 2000, um, I haven't seen the yards. I know that's a, a big one. Yeah. The yards is great. Um, so I've been hearing for 22 years now. I <laughs> have not gotten around to it.
0: Yeah. I hadn't seen it at all. And it had been on my list for a while. Cause I, I, I mean, I, I usually dig James Gray. I'm not like, this is another film Twitter thing where I'm not like a James Gray guy. There are a lot of people on film Twitter who are like huge James Gray guys. Um, I usually really like his movies and the Yards is no different. There's a lot of stuff in it that I think is a little contrived, a little convenient, but the general thrust of it is really good. And all the performances are really good. Khan um, again plays like an upper mid level guy. He runs um, one of several companies that's trying to bid out um, future projects and stuff for the um, New York transit system the subway basically um and as one would expect from a movie about the new york transit system there's a lot of corruption involved in that and a lot of wheeling and dealing in shady circumstances um james khan chiefly uses walking phoenix to kind of deal those things and he kind of introduces walking phoenix's character by saying like yeah willie takes care of things for me i don't ask a lot of questions kind of thing Um, and so khan's interestingly positioned in this place where he's kind of like the face of the business and knows that there's things going on that have to juice it, but doesn't know entirely how to navigate those worlds himself. So there are various times in the movie where he, because, you know, the drama ramps up and things get more corrupt and more dangerous and more uh, tenuous, he has to engage more directly with the corruption aspect of it. And he knows what needs to be done, but doesn't always know the way to do it or kind of how it, the kind of careful touch that walking teens maybe employed in doing it. And so he'll be a little more blunt, maybe in how he plays it. And it's just kind of like really careful character texturing that both James Gray and James Conn build into the character, um, where he's trying to be a little bit more respectable in the business he's in, but knows he's going to have to get his hands dirty from time to time. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's got a great cast. In addition to Khan and Phoenix, um, Mark Wahlberg plays this uh, James Khan's like sort of nephew um, who's mm. just got out of prison, and is trying to set his life right, and of course, well, he gets dragged back in. Um, Charlize Theron uh, plays Walking Phoenix's love interest and James Khan's stepdaughter, um, his Khan's wife, and Charlize Theron's mother is played by Faye Dunaway, who's great mm. and sort of like too rarely used by this period in her career in yeah. movies of this kind of quality. And um, Ellen, uh, what I say? Ellen Burstyn plays um, Mark Wahlberg's mother. So yeah, I mean, it's stellar cast all around and a really, really, really strong script. I think like bottle rockets, good evidence that Khan was still trying to work with like young directors or directors who were just kind of coming into their own and was still kind of turned on by interesting scripts and interesting material and was willing to kind of, Lend a hand, which gets into the other big two thousand release for him, Way of the Gun.
1: Yeah, this is uh Christopher Macquarie who was I guess kind of hot shit because he had written the usual suspects. And one an officer for his, it. Uh yeah, and this was his um directorial debut. Uh and yeah, something you keep pointing out. Once again, he plays a guy who is um a career criminal, who is a uh trusted top henchman of the main bad guy yeah, um, played by Scott Wilson, um, who's also in Flesh and Bone, by the way, though, James Conn and Scott Wilson never have any scenes together in Flesh and Bone. Um, uh, but he's not, yeah, again, he's not the main guy. He's, he's um, a, he's a grinder, a bruiser. Who's like, uh, so, and he, as he describes himself, a survivor, this one I've seen many times. And I actually, I actually did watch this again recently. Um, uh and he refers to himself as a survivor because he's talking to uh nikki cat and tay diggs play a couple of you know younger people in his line of work that he's like not exactly a mentor to but is kind of like telling him how it is and he says yeah you know one thing you do anything you know about an old guy in this line of business he's a survivor um but uh I don't know. There's a lot of twists and turns in the way of the gun and I don't want to give too much, uh, uh, away, but, um, he is, uh, he's spent his whole, whole life, you know, taking orders and stuff. And maybe he's, uh, angling for a bigger, uh, move here, but yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, he's obviously this is based sort his horror on Ryan Phillippe and Julia Lewis's movie. First, but he's probably the fourth main character in the movie after that. I would also say in a big kind of, cast. Yeah, it also kind of gradually becomes his movie.
0: I feel like he kind of starts to take more ownership into the plot. And part of it is I just think that Ryan Philippi and Benicio del Toro's characters are so, so thinly sketched that it can only like kick off the movie and kind of get us going. Whereas James Caan just becomes more interesting as the movie goes along. Yeah. And even if he, and- I mean, he starts to get more screen time, but our interest is quickly like kind of captivated by him. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, um, he's got the most, uh, I mean, the movie is full of monologues, um, but he's got some, some fun ones. Uh, yeah. And I'm trying to dance around like the spoilers of the plot, but there's a reason he becomes more of the main character as as it goes on that. I don't want to, uh, give away, but I really enjoyed this movie watching it now, like 20 plus years later, um i uh i realized that like the what i would have been like probably not even 18 when that movie came out i probably would have been on the verge of turning 18 and i think i thought it was cooler than it is sure but i think the movie is aware that like parker and Longbow, which is the names that they are that uh ryan Philippi and or go by in the narration they're never redressed by any name by any other characters in the movie even by each other but uh, in the narration they're parker and longbow um they're like not good guys at all
0: well yeah i think that's pretty <laughs> completely completely established
1: yeah and i think i thought they were cooler maybe when i was sure um but uh yeah they're they're real pieces of shit from the yeah, from the jump and the movie is um a nasty piece of work there's some uh, real unpleasant stuff that that happens uh, in in the movie. Some pretty gratuitous shots of a C-section at one point that are <laughs> uh, really bloody. Uh, and again, like with... You mentioned yeah, first-time directors like Rockinson, Rockets and the Yards. But speaking of movies that landed their directors in director's jail, I mean, The Way of the Gun was not a success. And Christian McQuarrie didn't direct again for a long time until he... He wrote Valkyrie and Tom Cruise liked him and then they made Jack Reacher and now he's a big director again. But he, I mean, Chris McCrory has said himself that that he ended up in director's jail because of the way of the gun. Uh, And I get it. it's It's not a movie that like gives the people who would seem to like it what they would want because it's often like obfuscated and it becomes more diffuse as it goes on um and also it's very unpleasant yeah yeah. at the same time it's not like a snatch type of like let's watch no, these cool criminals be that. cool yeah yeah
0: um yeah i mean i'm kind of glad that he had to like go back into <laughs> script doctor world or whatever and kind of figure shit out because i mean I, the movie's good but if he had kept making movies like this I don't think he would have developed into being as strong a director as he is now or as strong. It's not as good as I
1: remembered it being. Definitely.
0: I mean, there's a lot of like structural stuff. That's really interesting, The kind of windy plot does generally assemble pretty well. And it's got a great kind of like slow-mo car chase towards the beginning. That's really, I think well executed. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But there's also just so much stuff in it. That's clearly just like, I'm sick of being a script doctor. These are all the stuff, things I want to do that no other script would let me do. And so I'm just going to put them in this script. There's just like, it, it's a two hour movie, man. It's not that strong a premise. We don't need like all that stuff at the beginning of them, like donating semen and trying to get through the screening process of like, <laughs> this is the right. beginning of the movie. We should have more going on here than what's yeah. happened. Um,
1: but so there's a couple, lot of flashy Dialogue. The the yes. in the those early scenes have the flashier dialogue that I think becomes more. It be it doesn't become more naturalistic as it goes on, but the the dialogue becomes less flashy and more more up its own ass. But in a way that I think the movie is self aware about, you know, like the idea yeah, of. It's tough to I say. mean that, that car chase you mentioned is exactly what I'm talking about of like, this seems like a movie that would have a car chase in it. And this is Christian McQuarrie giving viewers a car chase that no one would ask for because it's a car chase at like two miles per hour, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I, which I like. There's also a fun thing uh, that he does with the transitions in this movie. I don't know when was the last time you saw it. If you remember this, I just watched it for the first time this past week. Oh, okay. So there are multiple parts where like, there's a part where there's the, uh, the girl who who works at the gas station, like her mouth moves and you think she's saying something, but it's actually Julia Lewis going into contractions and it gets to that. And there's like multiple parts where like Nikki cat, uh, uh, yells, but then it actually turns out it's the doctor yelling because of the wounds or whatever. It's, um, those are fun. Yeah. I
0: mean, there's a little cool stuff like that. I, I just found, like I said, the Philippi and the character is pretty thin, and, um, I mean, James Conn was really just, I really like Juliette Lewisman though too.
1: Hey, I always like her. Yeah. Um, Natalie I just met her at an award Oh, show. really? I was just gonna yeah. say, I saw
0: her at the airport once, but you got me one up.
1: Yeah. I have a, I could show you a picture of Natalie with her. Um, right on. Oh, uh, yeah. I feel like I was going to say, Oh, <laughs> um, for all the clever stuff that, that Christian require does in, um, the way of the gun nothing will beat my favorite moment in jack reacher okay when jack reacher is looking for a guy and all he knows about the guy is someone mentions that he worked at the auto parts store and he asks someone a local in this town like hey if someone just said the auto parts store (laughs) what would that refer to and then it cuts to a shot of him pulling up to a place that is called default auto parts store (laughs) that's pretty good (laughs) all right um next up 2002 city of ghosts is the next that i have man talk about movies i've never heard of before sure tell me about city of ghosts uh this is yeah um it was kind of well it's matt Dillon stars in it and directed it okay and it was also a big deal was made about the fact that it was it takes place in thailand and cambodia and was shot in thailand and cambodia um, okay. and I think that's kind of the main draw of the movie is this, I'm, I'm trying to look up the technical specs on IMDb. Cause in my mind, it's like a digital, um, I don't know. This is thirty-five, but it has a very like early two thousands look, sure. um, kind the of yards uh, does too, for that matter. It's like, yeah. man,
0: this is taking me back.
1: Um, But, uh, yeah, I don't remember much about the movie on like, it's a Matt Dillon vanity project in some ways. Sure. Um, it's also full of, um, the music is all this like old, um, uh, I don't even know what it's like old jazz or, or something mm. um, that I later learned that like Matt Dylan's just like really into this stuff. And so he just sure. like filled the music with like stuff that Steve Buscemi and ghost world would like. Uh, um, <laughs> but I guess uh, similarly to eraser, like Matt Dylan's a con man and, and James Con plays his sort of mentor and yeah, he might turn out to be a bad guy as movie goes on. As I, as I recall, it's been 20 years, but that's, what i recall i'm trying to think of like
0: what chip matt Dillon would be cashing in at this stage like there's something about Mario was a big hit but it's a different genre but maybe they yeah. just got him out there enough
1: yeah maybe um trying to think of, see if he he's got um an episode of oz to his credit and then a 2020 movie a documentary called el gran Philove, a documentary about Cuban scat musician, Francisco Philove. So maybe that's the music that he's into. I love this. I love this new side of Matt. Dillon. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that, that, this, I wish I could remember more about this type of music because sure. there's a story that I think I have told you off mic before, but one time my wife, this is before we were married, my wife, Natalie, and I were at a Versailles Cuban restaurant here in Los Angeles. Okay. And at the table next to us, I don't know what the relationship was, but there was a senior citizen man, probably 60 or so, and then a woman in her 20s having dinner together. And I think that they met because they are also fans of this same kind of (laughs) music that Matt Dillon is fans of, because the guy, the older guy, could not stop dropping Matt Dillon's name. (laughs) All his stories were about matt Dillon. i think he even like specifically mentioned city of ghosts like helping pick out the music or something so he's like matt Dillon's bud on this specific cuban music that he likes that is in this movie this is way too much time on city of ghosts (laughs) yeah did you even tell us you tell us a little bit about the movie what what does james
0: con do in this movie (laughs)
1: i said he's the mentor to matt okay. dylan's con man and he uh sort of eraser style might not be the best guy. <laughs> i think i i was too wrapped up in trying to figure
0: out what this movie is to remember you saying that um,
1: <laughs> all right
0: uh, dogville? dogville dogville dogville's yeah. great i don't know how you feel about dogville but i'm a big dogville fan
1: yeah i mean i haven't seen it since it was new but i i loved it uh and this is kind of the opposite of dick tracy he Plays a gangster, but instead of only showing at the very beginning, he doesn't show up until the very end, right? <laughs> and he kills everybody. It's the, it's literally the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> it's the opposite. Yeah, <laughs>
0: um, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, kind of throws my big unifying James Con theory out the window because here he definitely is like the biggest guy of all, to the extent that like you feel like he might be either God or Satan personified. Mm-hmm. Um, he's definitely like it definitely fits into like the force of nature side of Con that I've also been talking up, where like. He comes in and he says they should kill everybody and that's what's going to happen. But he kind of like lends this every man kind of fatherly quality to it where it's like, he's, he, like I say, he could be Satan or God, but he's also just like some guy and he's just talking to his daughter and they have a lot of weird history and uh, that somehow gets wrapped in like their views on morality, but he, I think a lesser actor could just come in and just play the ethereal part of it, which is still like, I think the movie brings enough of that that Khan can just bring Mm -hmm. the kind of everyman quality that helps give it this weird extra texture. Okay. Um, Well, um, it's a small part. So there's not a lot to say about it other than to say that, like it's a weird way to wrap up a movie. That's as weird as dogville, but I, man, I love dogville.
1: Yeah, I should watch it again. I, I definitely remember liking it a lot. Uh, also, in two thousand three, a very different movie from Dogville, uh, John Favreau's Elf, which has uh, yeah. become a Christmas uh, perennial. Um, really I've so seen I've seen Yeah, I've seen it multiple times, and uh, um, yeah, he. I mean, he's playing. He's not the, really the main character, but he has that Christmas movie character journey of like being the workaholic who needs Christmas to teach him to spend more time with his family. Uh, but we spend more time with the, the magical elf than with, with him, but it's a, a, a very, uh, warm and funny performance. As you mentioned with misery, he can be funny.
0: Yeah, totally. And I, I think just the visual of old James Kahn, uh, automatically sets him up as like a tough guy to win over on Christmas. Right. Right. Um, have you seen his one big venture into television, which started in two thousand three?
1: Las Vegas, yeah, no, but um, one of my first PA jobs was on. I think I've, I've definitely told this story on the podcast before. Was on the same lot that they were that they shot Las Vegas on, and I was in. At one point, I got the security guard to let me in. <laughs> the, the few of us like who worked on the movie I was working on got the security guard to let us into the Las Vegas set, which is so weird to be like on a nondescript studio lot, walk up <laughs> a ramp through a garage door, and then you're in a Las Vegas casino. That's Hollywood, very, baby. It was very weird. Um, but, uh, I
0: went ahead and watched the pilot episode of Las Vegas. Oh. Uh, I checked it out from my local library. They had the first season on DVD, So um, yeah, I could watch the pilot episode of Las Vegas. Khan uh, plays a uh, the head of security for a big deal hotel and casino uh, he's like a former, I think CIA guy, some kind of like government spy agency. And is definitely there to like lend cred to how complex, uh, hotel and casino security is in, uh, Las Vegas. And, you know, I only saw the pilot, so it only kind of sets up the character. I wanted mm-hmm. to watch a couple more episodes, but I didn't get around to it. Still have the disc downstairs in the library. They've abolished, uh, late fees. So I'm just going to hold on to that. Um, oh. but, um, yeah, it, you can kind of tell that it's a point in his career where it's like time to take the easy money on TV and kind of play mm-hmm. a an character and try to build that out. But that also kind of gives him license to have a little fun. And I mean, it's a very stock character for the pilot because uh, the, he's kind of the co-lead alongside Josh Dumel, who plays kind of his young protege who wouldn't, you know, it just accidentally slept with his daughter. Oh no. <laughs> um, so there's that kind of tension running through it while they're trying to track down a series of, um, people that kind of bring out different elements of their job, you know, they kind of are also emissaries for the hotel and try to, uh, win over various high rollers to come play for them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it definitely reminded me, uh, how boring most TV shows are now where they have like one plot for like three episodes. Uh-huh. In the early two thousands, they were like, "Can we get six plots into one episode?" Let's do that. Um, so there's a lot of plot in this episode, and not all of it revolves around Khan, but um, he has a lot of fun playing the kind of like overly protective dad. Who then, you know, that naturally kind of feeds into his job of being overly protective of the, the casino. And you can see why there's enough kind of meat on the bones to go for a, a few seasons of effort there. Um, so yeah, that's Las Vegas. All
1: right. Then we've got uh, two Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs movies, but that jumps from 2009 to 2013. I don't know if there's anything else in no, there I got you.
0: I got one more movie in 2021. But other than that, I got the Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs movies, which um, I don't remember him in the second one as much, only because I only saw it the once. But I've seen the first one a number of times and um he has to be like the emotional core of a movie that's pretty much a joke machine and he can easily sell that um even just with his voice and the visual of a giant mustache um yeah i i'm a huge fan of the first one and me too um,
1: and hmm. i watched i had not seen the second one i watched it in preparation for this and i kind of wish i just watched the first one again the second one has It has one of the things the first one has, which is that incredibly fun visual style and like coming up with fun things to do with food and there are food like animals in the second, because the second one is the the idea that the, uh, the island they lived on has now become like a a habitat for food animals or whatever. And so it has a lot of fun with that. But you mentioned the first one being a joke machine. It absolutely is. The second one, I would say one in four charitably jokes are, are land. It just is not... It's not nearly as funny as the first one.
0: Yeah. I mean, the second one I don't think was actually written by Lord Miller, where yeah. the first one was. And so it's just kind of like in the model of, but not having like the consistent, persistent inspiration of just constant jokes. I, I remember Lord Miller talking about making the movie and somebody getting the note from the studio that they're like, there has to be some emotion in this movie. <laughs> it can't simply all be jokes, yeah. um, which again, James Kahn helps lend it. Um, but, uh, not to the detriment of it being a
1: joke machine, by all means. Um, you said you have one more? Uh, yeah. Are you out? No, I have, uh, his current last movie, Queen Bees. That's the one I got. Oh, you watched that? I watched it last night. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's enticing with the cast that it has. Yeah. Like if you hear it described as like it's mean girls in a retirement home, I thought it'd be better than it is uh yeah but it's not very good
0: i mean it's it's pretty soft and it's pretty um comfortable and i mean a lot of these kind of like old folks rom-coms usually are um but i thought he was still like quite charming i mean like i hadn't i clearly hadn't seen him in a movie in a while and i was like oh james Caan was old um yeah. and, but he's still like he's still got some moves and you can see why ellen Burstyn would kind of fall for him
1: yeah yeah but he does look old i remember this uh dana gould used to do a bit about uh he did a tv special with bob hope like (laughs) very late in bob hope's life for the promo he had to like put his arm around bob hope (laughs) and he said it was like a sweater full of light bulbs (laughs) and i feel like that's kind of how james conn comes across uh a a little bit in this in this movie definitely on the older side but that's you know it's going to happen all god you know god willing I'll. Oh, yeah uh, we should be oh, so uh, lucky
0: to yeah. remain broad-shouldered yeah midst our light bulb age yeah i mean i i wanted to see kind of more recent stuff but queen bees was something only one to kind of call my eye it seemed like he did a lot of like fairly low budget crime movies in the last 10 years nothing really kind of hitting the map um Aside from perhaps undercover grandpa, of course. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I don't remember that I haven't heard of. Yeah. I mean, um, that's my boy a movie I've at least heard oh, of, right. and he's yeah. in that. Um, but yeah, it, unfortunately, it kind of seemed like the offers started to dry up. And I mean, a lot of that is just like the business has changed, and there aren't as many of the kind of like mid budget thrillers that still get a decent Theatrical release that kind of like made his name as, uh, as the star years past where he could still get in, um, solid movies. Um, and certainly like aging out of playing like an elf type of role yeah, or that kind of thing. Um, can't help, but, um, yeah, I mean, obviously an amazing career and one that I'm really glad that I took the time for this episode to kind of invest a little bit more mm-hmm. energy in kind of seeking out the nooks and crannies of,
1: um, now IMDb is not always reliable in this, but it does um, seem to imply that he has another movie in the can, a Philip Noyce movie, yeah, called Fast Charlie, where Pierce Brosnan plays Charlie. I'm going to read you just the first half of sentence of the <laughs> of the premise: uh, when his aging mob boss is whacked, I'm like, okay, John, James Conn is going to get killed in the opening seat of this movie. Yeah, probably. Unfortunately, kind of, did you see? Um, speaking of adam stanley movies did you see hustle the netflix movie Hustle? no i, I really want to oh, but i haven't seen it yet yeah it's it's quite good but i was like remember like seeing the opening credits and being like oh cool robert duvall's in this <laughs> uh, it's a similar thing he's in the very beginning of the movie sure um, um
0: i i do i'm curious about the movie though i mean i like philip noyce so
1: yeah 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 so that and uh, and it's pierce brosnan and marina baccarin um so uh, yeah, including and some other people that I like. So uh, I hope yeah. I mean, I don't mean to be too disrespectful of Queen Bee's, um, but uh, I hope that it's not his last. I hope that sure we get to see him in something else. But uh, still, great cast for Queen Bee's. Oh yeah. Um. All right. We did it. Well, we That's did it. James gone That we yeah we covered James Con's. That's all you need Tell us what major like gems we we missed um but also uh watch uh the rain people and flesh and bone those are and the gambler if you haven't seen the gambler i would say watch that too those are some that i had not seen before i did this that i would uh definitely recommend to people
0: yeah, I think the big standouts for me of like new stuff was like the yards and hide and plain sight were the two that. I mean, I like ring people a lot too, um, but um, for the new stuff, um, the yards and hide and plain sight really stood out.
1: All right. Well, um, other than that, you can find us at battleshippretension.com um you can email us at david at battleship email me i guess at david about battleship and check out my other podcast the one where i met your mother that's at battleshippretension.com or on wherever you find podcasts but also again tyler's gofundme you can find the link Absolutely. to the gofundme at caringbridge.org visit slash tyler and jennifer smith scott what do you got
0: uh still locked on twitter still on letterboxd and i'll be back on the show fairly regularly over the next several weeks and months
1: yeah um, we will see uh but yeah you are going to be our go-to uh uh fill in at um, the very least uh we got marked that next profile
0: episode which is going to be the most energy i've ever invested in anything in this uh film criticism business so
1: do you look think forward
0: to that okay
1: I mean, right now the the um, the record for Battle of Retention episode length is Westerns with Mariah at over just over five hours. Um, do you think uh, our next profile, which we're not should be obvious to people, but we're not saying what it is until the episode comes out? Do you think it'll challenge five hours?
0: Yeah. Well, if you know me and you know recent film news of the type of people we do profiles on, you. You yeah. probably guess, but, um, I, I was going to tell you, yes, we need to make sure we're blocking off a sizable chunk of time. We can't do these late starts and, uh, be on a night where everyone's tired and needs to be somewhere. It's, uh, it's going to be an endeavor for sure.
1: Yeah. Looking forward to it. All right. Um, thanks for filling in Scott. Oh, anytime. This was a pleasure. Thank you at home for listening. Hey, we'll get you next time.